Our scripture today is John 17, 6 through 12. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thank you, Bob. Well, uh, I know several of you, and I was even went to the back a minute ago, that the sun has moved since we had our time change, and uh, I will not be offended if you use sunglasses in the service uh, to either fall asleep or to actually protect from the sun. Um, I don't know if you've ever had um, <clears throat> someone really pray for you before. Uh, I know that sounds funny, especially as a pastor saying that to you. Uh, but, you know, some of you may be uncomfortable with prayer or even having somebody pray with you or for you. But having someone actually pray for you where it kind of grabs you in the moment. Sometimes you may pray with people and use just kind of words. You know, we may pray in a service and maybe it just flies over your head. But having somebody sit with you and actually pray and draw out of you what is really there almost speak for you what you're thinking. I remember uh, even sitting with a friend at some point, and it was a difficult time in our life, and um, me and, and our family, and I had a friend who said, I just want to, I'm going to pray for you. And there are distinct moments like this along the way that I recall, and this person in particular prayed for me, and it was so different than normal. It wasn't just a, let me pray for you, what's going on. Let me, you know, we use that vernacular a lot and it can kind of really get lost on us. But this person prayed for me. And, and when he did, his words did something. They, they not only drew me in in conviction of who I was, but it also lifted me up to think, I, I'm not just sitting here hearing someone spout words. I'm actually being brought before someone who really cares. I'm actually being cherished in the moment. These words aren't falling flat. And, and I tell you, I mean, even as someone who is, um, is, is a pastor, sometimes those things just fall flat, but this did not. And I, I don't know if you've ever had those kind of moments before, but they're profound and amazing. You know what we're, we just got to hear in this passage? is not just anybody praying, but Jesus praying. This whole chapter, this is a selection of it, is about Jesus praying. And he's not just praying random. He's actually praying for us. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for his followers, both in, the, in that 
current time, and to come. And it's really amazing if you think about it. We get to read in on Jesus praying for us. We get to stop and almost slow down for a moment and look at each word of how Jesus looks at you. Each of you sitting on the 12th row back, you know, from the right, whatever. I mean, each of you, Jesus is actually praying for those who would follow him. He's praying specifically, and, and get this, he's praying before he even goes to the cross. And here's what's powerful about that. It means that he's praying for his people. He's praying for those that are his, and you see that possessive language, that are his before he goes to die on the cross. It means his prayer is specifically aimed. It means his death on the cross is specifically aimed. It's not haphazard. It's not thrown about. It's not thrown in the dark or the void hoping it'll return. It is intentional, careful, It's a surgical strike to us. And theologians over the centuries have have described this kind of thing in somewhat uh, this kind of language of the atonement, meaning the payment that Jesus paid down, in terms that it is specific. Some have used the language of limited atonement. I think a better word for that and other theologians have used is particular redemption, that particularly Jesus applied his prayers and his Life in his blood is particularly applied to those who are his. And that should call for us to kind of go, whoa, really? That's amazing. It, it's more than just, uh, just words that Jesus throws out. He's specifically pointing to you. And he's praying over you. And he's lifting you before his father. It is a massively profound thing that we're going to look at, and it really moves in me. People have talked about this. John Calvin himself, who many uh, have different thoughts about who he is, this is what he talked about, this beautiful mystery of Jesus praying. He said, we are being let into the sanctuary of Jesus talking to his Father. It's like we're being let in on a private conversation, and Jesus is bringing us in on it. And we get to sit. It's almost like sitting in a sanctuary of sorts and we get to see behind the curtain of Jesus and his father interacting. And who's the subject? You and me. That's unreal. So I think we need to understand two things as we approach this, this passage. And even really somewhat this chapter is that Jesus is intentional in the way that he approaches us. And he also teaches us that we belong. He's intentional and that we belong. You know, the the beginning here in verse uh, six and seven says, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now they know everything that you have given me is from you. Now that language of now they know and then even in, in right after that, <clears throat> that everything you've given me is from you. Um, and in verse eight, it says that you sent me. There's, a, there's actually a theme that runs through this whole gospel of John. That John writes is, is the word sent. The Greek word is missio. You might recognize it for mission. It's a word that means that Jesus was intentional. That when he comes into this world, 
What he does, what we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels that if you're unfamiliar with, I would really encourage you to read, is about him being the sent one, the missio, the mission that he was on. And it's not just a a warm and fuzzy mission. This is a very intentional, the language even in verse seven, now they know is one of him working out this plan, this mission. You know, we're entering into Advent season. And the word Advent, and, and as you'll see even in the next uh, few Sundays as we, uh, the things start, you know, Advent wreath comes out and, and the trees and the lights and beautiful and, and people start, and the songs that we sing about it. Advent, the word, means a coming. It means a, almost in some language a breaking into. And it's saying, in all the hymns that we sing, it's kind of curious to me because we kind of desensitize it a little bit. That this little baby, you know, it's, it's you know, kind of like that uh, scene from Ricky Bobby. He's like, just a little baby, Jesus, you know. It's kind of desensitized a little bit, you know. Uh, eight, eight pounds, six ounces, baby. He, you know, like that's kind of the lingo that we have. It's actually not. With every Christmas hymn we hear in the malls that we walk through, and everyone we will sing in here is a very intentional movement, a mission of Jesus, even as a child, it's fascinating because you think about like we have the wise men, you know, we've been setting up our, our uh, little um, nativity scene kind of things in our house, you know, slowly pulling out the Christmas stuff. And, you know, it seems to get earlier every year. And uh, you have a little nativity scene and the wise men, what is the point of the wise men? They're, they're bowing down to a baby. Have you ever thought about that? What are they getting? They're getting the fact that there's a mission here. There's a sent one. There's someone who's breaking in. And he must break in. It's not a matter of, oh, he's coming just to kind of bring this warm, fuzzy once a, one month out of 12. It's more like this. When I am in the other room at home and, <clears throat> and I have two boys, many of you know, and I'll hear certain sounds of first joy or fun or running around, and next it turns to, oh no, you know, like these different kind of tones, right? And uh, it could be uh, them playing a certain, with a certain toy or whatever. Even though they're ages apart, they're combative about certain things because they're people like us. And so I have options. I could just sit there and see if they can figure it out, which most of the time ends in more of the crying or someone really getting hurt or I can bust in and break into that because that's what they need. They can't figure it out on their own. They're not able to. They need wisdom that's greater and above them and I have to go in in order to settle it. Th that is more of the picture of what's happening here. Jesus as a baby is seemingly independent and he is and yet who he is in mission is not at all. He is intentional. He's breaking in. He's coming to us. And it sounds harsh because if you read at the end of this passage, it talks about him praying. He says uh, <clears throat> in verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine and I am glorified <clears throat> in them. And I am no longer in the world, but, the, the, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. And even before that, he says, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. What is he saying there? Does it, does it sound kind of harsh? Because we think, oh wait, in John, isn't it John 3.16 where everybody, you know, the signs in the end zones of nearly every football game holds up. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Does this contradict that? 
This verse is actually very different from that one. It's not saying this is Jesus' attitude towards the world. And this is also not saying his care for it. But what he is talking about is his account of what he's doing. That his particular work moving towards the cross isn't throwing out to a system. What does world mean? World is not just you know, just physical rocks and trees and things. It's more of this system of independence against God. And even if you see in John, people who are not for God are brought in to this. People that we would call worldly. People who would be considered social outcasts. Sexual outcasts. Physical outcasts. All through John. There's even two of my favorite chapters in that book, John 3 and 4, right next to each other, where you have Nicodemus, who is this Pharisee of Pharisees, the religious guy you would think would be brought in, who has no clue about what Jesus is talking about. And then right after that, in John chapter 4, you have a Samaritan woman at the well, who has such a sordid past, and even present, and, and, and they marvel, it says they literally marveled that Jesus would even talk to her. And yet both of them are paralleled as being brought in. And both, one of them we would say is worldly, the other one's not. But what is Jesus saying here? He's not saying that people of the world are being brought in. He's saying he's praying for those of us whom he has specifically sought out and they are drawn out of that world to be dependent on him, to come to him to show that. Look, the exclusivity of this is, can be difficult. But I want us to think about that for a second. Because what Jesus is saying is that this is, he is different, unique from any other religion. Is the most inclusive, exclusive religion there is. And this is why. Every religion has to be honest. I've talked to people, I worked on a campus across the street for 10 years where I've had this conversation. I've met with people in the city about this. We have to be honest that if we are part of something, and even if you aren't, we all hold exclusive claims. Every religion holds an exclusive claim. But what is that claim is the question. And what Jesus says here isn't that the exclusivity comes through rules. He's not saying, I'm praying for them that they would hold fast to these rules, right? He doesn't go that way. But he says that they, that they hold fast to me. There's a language of possession here. It's of him. It's not about taking on rules. If you read of the people that he brings out that begin to follow him, he doesn't ask for his friends to follow him. He asks for those who are even enemies to be a part of this good news. That it is particularly applied to people like you and me. That we would look in even our city and say, that person is so worldly. Jesus calls them to himself, but it's specific, it's directed, it's aimed at their heart to bring them. So when he comes to a physical, a social, or even a sexual outcast in the scriptures, they're constantly going, me? You, you're coming to me? And he does so. And they can't believe it. The entrance into this kingdom is not like other religions. This is where it's vastly different. Christianity says that it's distinct in that Jesus doesn't throw his blood randomly. You know, how precious is that flow that we just sang about? 
How precious is it? How precious is the blood of Jesus? Is it something that's thrown randomly or is it specifically applied intentionally to people's hearts that Jesus addresses? A woman at a well, a Pharisee who thinks he has it all together, a Nashvillian who wants to make it, a Nashvillian who just moved here and thinks they need to make a name for themselves. A Nashvillian who has a family here and is trying to fit in to our specific place and person. And he does so even taking another step forward than that. He says, I bring them your name. Notice this, even over and over, there's this repetition of a word. He says, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. His mission was to give a name. Anytime you see a name, and even we sang this, holy, 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 this, this language of naming, that names were so powerful in the Bible to say, if you manifested a name, you were actually delivering that person's character. You were showing not just information about them, but their personhood. So to know his name, to know a name, was to really know them, their works and their words. I love watching Jimmy Fallon. I remember some time ago, Jimmy was, you know, doing his upfront stand-up, you know, before everything kind of gets rolling. And he was talking about how the CIA had actually joined Twitter. So it was interesting. He was kind of making fun of them. And that their uh, Twitter, their first tweet was that we can neither confirm or deny this, that, that this is our first tweet. You know, it's kind of funny. Welcome to Twitter, CIA. And what I thought was interesting is, as he went on, and I kind of looked into it, uh, how many followers, followers they had at the time. And I'm sure it's way more even now. At the time, they had, uh, you know, 740,000 followers, something. And I thought, man, how interesting. Like, you know, it's one thing to follow the CIA. Like, but what, what are we hoping to gain from that? Like, are we hoping they, like, accidentally, like, tweet something, you know? And we get some major information. We're like, ooh, man, that's juicy. Twitter, did you see this? Like, I'm going to, you know, like, what, do we, what can they tweet out? It's the CIA. It, it's like a little ironic to me. It's like, let's put our secrets on the internet. You know, like, how, seems a little backwards to me. But I find it interesting that that, that is what people are really hoping to see. But Jesus does here is very different. Jesus doesn't come into the picture to gain followers. He comes into the picture to seek followers, to grab them. He's not just saying, hey, like this, follow me. He's intentional and open about who the Father is. It says he manifested his name. It's that Jesus himself in his person is physically showing who the Father is. And there's nothing about his ministry is, that is not about the Father. That Jesus is showing us, what does it really mean? And isn't this across the board, what, what when, we, when we lay out the intentionality and what religions are, that what Jesus is doing is not necessarily about just him. It's about do we know the Father? And isn't that always what we're asking? How do you know? How do you know God? Jesus is saying, you know because you know me. And you have this documented history of me. And I pray, and he, said, he even says this, I have manifested your name and they know it to those who you've given me. 
that he's come to you and said, and it's like this kind of relationship. You know when you have a friend, two really, really good friends, but they've never met? And you, you can finally, at some point, you have an opportunity, whether it's that, you know, one of your friends comes in town from another you know, life you lived, you know, maybe in college or at a, at another, in another city. And finally they get to meet one of your other friends and you're like, this is so awesome. World's colliding, you know, it's amazing. And you get the joy sense of watching them interact and you go, these people are two profound people in my life who have been a part of building me up and now they're together, put together. Jesus has sought us out to bring us into that relationship with his father. And it brings him incredible joy. Because now we don't just follow him, we belong to him. And he is intentional about seeking us, but we now belong. It's not just that we follow, we're belonging to him. You know, the number one word in this whole passage, just this little snippet, if you caught it, is the word given, gave, or giving. Just that one word. And I find that incredibly powerful. Because it means that, and, and we could read that as this, like we're some sort of commodity, right? <laughs> like like we, we here, God and Jesus are kind of handing us off back and forth. We're being taken care of in that way. It's some sort of transactional thing. And I think in many of our lives, transactional relationships is what we're used to. And so we look at Jesus's prayer here and we kind of go, am I just a pawn in this game? But the actual words and language that Jesus is talking about is, is, is much more intimate than that. And he uses that language and says give or given nine times just in these few verses to tell us that the way he handles us is such a gift, with such care, with such kindness that we belong to him. It's not a matter of commodity or transaction. It's not a matter of your cost benefit to him. It's the matter of you are a delight to him. Think about it this way. Some of you may be in a job where you have, have benefits, right? You, you have a salary. You have some people that you're in relationship with, friends with. But there are oftentimes you go to your, your, your space and you feel as though you don't belong. Maybe your job is in your home with your children or, or even just in that neighborhood. And sometimes you just, you go, I, I, don't, I don't belong. Like I have all these things set up. I'm doing a lot of things. I feel, I feel like I have all these things in place, all these benefits, so to speak. But where do I really belong? What is belonging? It means you're held with meaning. Means you're held with value. Listen to this. I was reading a Forbes article that said this. Listen to the title of this. Fostering the sense of belonging promotes success. And one of the, one of the things they said is this. The reason for their connection to work and the workplace is due to a sense of belonging. Dr. Abraham Maslow, a pioneering social psychologist, ranks belonging as the third, as third in his hierarchy of needs for human satisfaction and fulfillment. Individuals feel that they, fit in, uh, that they fit in. On one level, they fit because the work is interesting. On another, uh, on another level, they feel connected to their coworkers. And ultimately, and, I, <clears throat> and ideally, they feel a part of the workplace because their work has meaning. Now, I think that's really interesting. But one thing I find 
that, that definition is very calculated and true. And many of us may be experiencing that right now. But the only place that it's lacking is that our belonging to God is not just because we're useful. It's not just because you can do things for him. It's not a usefulness. It's not a transaction. It is this connection, a deeper connection to him. It's a relationship. Even Jesus himself amazingly says this. He says, all mine are yours in verse 10, and yours are mine this knowledge, and I am glorified in them. Jesus himself even says, I am glorified. Who I am, I'm going to be glorified in them. That his intention is to belong to you if you follow him. That it's not just a, you're his, all are mine and mine are yours. It is this collectivity. It is, we are glorified in him. It's an amazing phrase that he would identify his glory in us. His relationship to the Father is not like ours. We need to understand that when he prays to God, we get to enter into this sanctuary of God talking to his Father, but his fatherhood to us is different in this way. Jesus had a relationship to him that was unlike us. Think about Jesus. I mean, he, he, he was never approached by God only when he was doing something wrong right? He never, Jesus never felt the shame in his ministry, like he needed to compensate for something in his ministry, or use his relationships to gain ultimate affirmation for himself. Jesus, Jesus never, uh, his pleasure with his, uh, from his father, his, his love from his father was so complete, he didn't, he didn't scratch and claw and bite to gain it. He didn't need to do a ministry in order to have the love of his father, but because he had it. Does that not sound opposite to you from what we have? I mean, how how easy it is for us to, to want to gain, even from our own fathers or other people, affirmation that makes us feel as though we're we're something, we belong, we have meaning. How many places do we do that? I mean, is there a group that you're trying to belong to that if you could just have meaning in this group, that it would really set you? There are those here. What group is that? Who are the two, three, four people that that you give that much power to in your life? And yes, I'm not just talking about having good friends. I'm talking about you look to them and it just destroys your belonging. It defines it. Maybe you just moved into a certain neighborhood and you're hoping this neighborhood defines you. You belong. Especially in Nashville where neighborhoods are starting to have kind of a lot more of their own personalities. Do we find ourselves saying, I belong because I live here? Maybe it is at your work. Maybe you have meaning and, and value simply because you're a part of a team at your job. But is it simply based on your usefulness? And when you're not useful, do you have belonging? Or maybe you see your children trying to connect. Maybe they're struggling. School or your neighborhood. You see them wondering where, where do they belong? Where do they fit? It, it hits us in a million ways. What Jesus is getting at here is beyond that. 
He's not talking about how you feel. He's saying Jesus has come to bring you up into this relationship with his father to show you that you do belong. It's not based on how much affirmation you need. You have the affirmation in the applied blood of Jesus. You have that in this relationship that he has given you. It even says here that, the, that, I'm, um, that he have given me for they are yours. All mine are yours and yours are mine. There is this deep, deep fellowship. And I, it makes me think of this. This relationship I had um, when I was younger, a friend of mine I grew up with, and maybe, many of you, this may, you may recognize this kind of thing. And I remember this friend of mine, we grew up together, and um, I remember when we were younger, uh, starting to hang out at his house. And at his house, uh, it was so fun because I noticed that as I would go over there and eat, <laughs> or hang out, or do things, his parents treated me like I was his, their son. And I would go over there for years to come. And I even remember uh, this guy and, 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 and same here. It was, like, it was like they brought me into this house. And every time I was in, it was like, yeah, make yourself a home. Sit where you want. You can hang out. No, no, no. And, and more and more the familiarity. And it was like I was brought into this deep relationship with this family that wasn't even mine. And it was all through their son. It was because I had such a good relationship with their son, such a connection to him that they just loved me. They just vicariously said, hey, you're friends with our son because of that. We're gonna love you. And still to this day, I even remember going to a, a, a wedding. It was out of town and my friend couldn't even make it till the next day and his mom went early and she and I went out and had dinner. And it was like the mo one of the most amazing, profound things to sit with someone who's not my mom, <laughs> who was my friend's mom, and to feel like this is, you're like my mom. What was I experiencing? I'm experiencing being brought in to a family, to a relationship that shows me because I'm identified, because I have this connection to her son, even when her son isn't there. I am loved and cared for as if he was. You know, when we come to this table, it is a table that is marking that for us. This table is saying, Jesus isn't here literally. He's not, he's not standing right here. We aren't at the table. We don't happen to be in that particular place in the Bible where the disciples actually received the bread from him as he's talking about it and they touched his hands and brushed against him and they did that. But what we are receiving here literally is by faith this body and blood becomes that for us. We belong. This is a table of, of intentionality. This is Jesus going to the cross that his blood might be shed for you. It's applied. When you're taking the cup, it's not haphazard. It is something that's intentionally given to you. When you're taking the bread, it is his body that is given for you. That language is not just thrown out there for anything. This is the language that Jesus used about himself for you, applying 
every bit of the benefit that he has as a son, every bit of the pleasure that he had from his father, that he looked upon him with all the affirmation, all the encouragement, all the care is all yours in Jesus. That's particular atonement. That is the particular redemption that is specifically aligned for where you are. So when you come to this table, you take it because you belong to him, not because you think you belong in any other way. And I would encourage you as you come to if what you've heard this morning doesn't resonate in the fact that, man, I don't know if I belong to him. I, I don't know if this is something where I can be a part of that. It, I would encourage you not to take of this. Don't act like you belong when, when, when you don't. That, that would be against your conscience and also against integrity of who you are. But I would say, entertain the fact he's inviting you. This isn't just a table of exclusivity. It's of inclusivity to contemplate and say, whose blood is this? This is his blood. And you can come if you follow him by faith. You don't have to have a certain rule. You don't have to belong because you're useful. You can belong because he comes to you and dies for you. And he comes and dies intentionally for your sin so that you may know him. With that, let's stand together. Let's read.